now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and of course 3. I want us to notice something very important here. Uh, Hebrews 11.3 says that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So what was the material that was used to form, fashion, and shape this world? The word of God. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen, that is the visible, were not made of things which are not seen. That means the things which are seen came out of things which are not seen, the invisible. right? So very simple that I want us to understand. That the material that was used to create everything that God created was His Word. His Word. The visible came out of the invisible. The natural came out of the spiritual. So which is greater? The natural or the spiritual? You're all clear on that. The spiritual world is greater than the natural world. Or the natural world is subject to the spiritual world. And here's one important thing that you and I must understand that as long as we operate out of our spirit and operate out of the, our spiritual faculty, so to speak, we can dominate this natural world. Amen. Because the spiritual dominates the natural. The natural is subject to the spiritual. That's why circumstances respond when you speak by faith. Jesus said, if you have faith, which is spiritual, you can speak to a mountain, which is in the natural. And what's in the natural is subject to the spiritual. Amen? Now, here's the wonderful thing, that God has given us His Word to speak. The very Word that shaped, fashioned, and formed the worlds. He says, I want you to speak that Word here in this world. You're releasing that Word. And then, and in the first chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says that Jesus is upholding all things by the power of His Word. Everything is upheld, sustained, regulated by the power of His words. And that same word has been given to you and me. Amen. For you and me to speak into this world. You're releasing what's spiritual into the natural. And I like to do this. I like to, when I, when I take some time, time from time to time, uh, in my, in my, in my, during my time of prayer, I like to do this. I like to say, everything, and I command everything in my world to come into alignment with the word of God. I command my present and my future. To be shaped, fashioned, and formed by the word of God. I cancel every word that people may have spoken against me. Or that I may have spoken. Which is contrary to the word of God. I cancel them. And I declare that everything in my world comes into alignment with the word of God. And then I speak the word of God. I speak God's word over my family, my children, my finances. Everything. Just speak God's word. Because I want everything in my world to be shaped, fashioned, and formed by the Word of God. To be sustained, upheld, and regulated by His words. What are you doing? What am I doing then? I'm allowing, I'm, I'm allowing living out of the Spirit. Allowing the Spirit world to shape and fashion what's in the natural world. Amen? And the Word of God is that material that is used by God to shape, fashion, and form this world. That's why it's so important to speak the Word into your world. Speak His Word. Amen? Let's stand up to our feet as we make our declaration this morning. I want you to hold your Bible high up in the air and say this with me. This is God's Word. Everything in my world is shaped, fashioned, and formed by the Word of God. My present and my future comes into alignment 
with the word of God. God says, I am blessed, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We're going to continue this morning talking about uh, sharing our story. We began this last Sunday. SOS. The, the need to hear the cry of people who are desperate, who are crying out, saying, save our souls. We began this last Sunday. And I uh, began with that verse from Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, where Paul says about his heart, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel will be saved. That's what he said. My heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel will be saved. Now, if we personalize that, we could say, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that India will be saved. Or we could say, my heart's desire, my prayer to God is that Bangalore will be saved. Or my heart's desire and prayer to God is that my neighborhood will be saved. The people uh, that I interact with will be saved. So we need to have that desire in our heart for people to be saved. And last Sunday, we talked about four reasons why we must have a passion for souls, to see souls come into the kingdom of God. And I just want to quickly review what we did last Sunday. Four reasons why we must have a passion to reach souls. We said, number one, because God has a heart for the lost. God's heart for the lost. God loved the world so much. And He still loves the world. He still loves all the people out in the world. Amen. And if we are close to Him, then we will get His heart for the lost. We'll get His heart for people who need Jesus. Amen. The second reason we said was because of the reality of eternity. You know, our life on earth is so short compared to what's yet to come that there is eternity that all of us are going to step into and we're either going to go to heaven or hell. And these are real places. They're not just imaginary things. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's real. So in as much as heaven is real, hell is also real. We saw that last Sunday. And so there is a whole generation of people that are going to an eternity without God to hell and we must hear their cry for help and respond to that. The third reason we said that you and I must have a heart for the lost is because of their present reality that people right here today are hurting and suffering and they need answers and you and I have the answer. His name is Jesus. He's the one who said I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we have the answer. We need to share Jesus with others. The last reason we said was that God has given us a mandate. He told us, go into the whole world and preach the gospel. We have a mandate. Every believer has a commission on their life. God is counting on you to go to the whole world and tell people about Jesus. Tell others about Jesus. There's a mandate on your life. A commission that God has given each one of us as believers. I just want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. And just read that this morning before we get into the message. Paul wrote, he said, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given to us a ministry. Tell a neighbor, you have a ministry. Now some of us are saying, I'm waiting for a ministry. God's already given it to you. He's given to us a ministry. Amen? 
a ministry, and it's called the ministry of reconciliation, to bring people, get people to be reconciled to God. You're not waiting for a ministry to be given to you. It's already been given to you. He's given to each one of us a ministry of reconciliation to get people back to Him. And then he continues in verse 19, that is, um, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not holding their sins against them, but He's given to us the word of reconciliation so that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of Christ. As though God was pleading through us. That's powerful. God pleading through you. So God is pleading to a lost and dying world through you. Telling them, come be reconciled to me. As the God was pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Each one of us has been given a ministry of reconciliation. God is pleading through us to this world, be reconciled. Amen. Before I begin this morning's message, I want to just call George to come again, minister to us with song. Let's put our hands together as he comes and shares with us again. Good morning. So last week we heard that people are waiting, who are desperate for us, desperate and frustrated, and they need to hear a word, and you got to tell somebody what Jesus did for you. Amen. And the Bible says that we are a vessel. God has made us a vessel. He is the potter. We are the pot. A pot, if you look at it, is something for you to pour out. So you are a vessel. You are a pot to pour yourself into somebody else's life. So some of us sit there and waiting for the preacher or waiting for the healer. But God wants you to do it. Amen. We're looking for some big noise. So we are betting on the big boys looking for the big hero or somebody but God wants you to do it one heart at a time I'm telling you brothers and sisters it all comes down to you and me amen everybody's looking for a hero everybody's waiting on a big noise Everybody's hoping for a hot shot Everybody's betting on the big boys They don't know, they don't see It all comes down to you and me One heart at a time One life to another One heart at a time Brother to brother Everybody's hanging on the healer Everybody's pulling at the preacher man Everybody's looking for a leader To save the world, they think it's only he who can Why don't they know? Why don't they see? God gave his power to you and me One heart at a time One life to another one heart at a time Brother to brother The fields are ripe for harvest They're ready, don't you know? Oh, oh. Everybody's just sitting around waiting Tell me, who is gonna go? All the men of God you ever heard Everyone began 
Holding on to Jesus Reaching out to just one man One heart at a time One life to another One heart at a time Brother to brother One heart at a time One life to another One heart at a time Brother to brother Everybody's hanging on the healer Everybody's pulling at the preacher man Everybody's looking for a leader To save the world They think it's only he who can Why don't they know? Why don't they see? God gave his power to you and me One heart at a time One life to another One heart at a time Brother to brother Thank you, Zosie. Amen. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why don't we all say that together? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let's say it strong. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul said, this is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Amen. As believers, we must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, is another familiar passage. And uh, we, many of us know that, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul once again writes and he says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound now, we know that. And, you know, usually we use it when you have to enter a dark room. You say, God has not given me a spirit of fear. I've got to walk in this dark room. Or you use it, you know, when you have to cross the road in Bangalore traffic. For God has not given me the spirit of fear. And you try to cross the street. You know, we use it in all those different situations. But the reality is, here's the context of what he said. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, I am not ashamed of the testimony of Amen. So why has God not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind? Why? So that we do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's say this, say this together. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Therefore, I am not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now this morning, I want us to address another aspect of uh, sharing our story with people. I want to address this whole issue of obstacles and, hindr and hindrances. You know, what keeps us from talking to people about Jesus? Why is it that many of us don't talk to people about Jesus? And I want to address some of these hindrances or obstacles and then, and, uh, and then hopefully give us things that will free us up to be able to share Jesus with others. Here's hindrance number one or obstacle number one. You know, we just don't know what to say. You know, pastor tells, you know, pastor tells me, go share the gospel. Jesus told me, I have, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But what do I tell them? Do I tell them Jesus can take you to heaven? Or should I tell them if you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell, you know. What should I tell people? And uh, 
this ignorance, there is fear that is born out of ignorance. So how do we address this issue? Well, in that case, if there is ignorance that's causing fear, then we need to deal with it. We need to be equipped. We need to be trained and say, look, this is what you share. This is what you do. And these are things you don't do. Now go, do it. So over the next few weeks, we're going to address this. We're going to talk about some practical things on how we can share Jesus with people. How do we, what do we tell people and what should we avoid when we talk to others about Jesus Christ? Because we know we have the answer. We know that Jesus is the answer. We just need to know how to share him with others. And First Peter, the third chapter, the 15th verse, the Bible tells us, be ready. Let's all say that together. Be ready. The Bible says, be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you of the reason for the hope that is in you. So we got to be ready. We got to prepare ourselves. Be ready to give an answer to people who ask us, why do we have this? Re- what is the reason for our hope? A second reason why many of us don't share Jesus with others is because there is a misconception or there's a feeling that no one is really interested in the gospel. You know, I mean, who wants to hear the story where, you know, I had to talk about somebody who was crucified on the cross 2,000 years ago. I mean, if I told somebody, we had a story like, you know, somebody went to the moon 2,000 years ago, they listened. But here's a story. I've got to tell somebody that, you know, somebody was crucified on the cross 2,000 years ago and, and in a remote place called Israel. And, 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 and if they believe in that, they're sensibly forgiven. Nobody's really interested in the gospel or interested in hearing something like this. So maybe nobody's interested in knowing about God. You know, think about Bangalore. We are so sophisticated. We have everything we need. You know, there used to be a time when people were searching. They were searching for ways to go to the promised land. But today, the promised land has come to us. You get Nike, Reebok, everything here. You get the Toyota, the Honda. Everything is available. I mean, there's no more search for the promised land. It's all here. People have got everything they need. Now, you can you remember the times when you used to go overseas, you come back, you bring a pair of Nike shoes. Special gift. It's a symbol that I've been to the U.S. And now everybody's wearing it, you know. They don't care. Uh, and, and so we tend to think, you know, nobody really needs God in our, in our world, in the place where we are living. There's abundance of everything. Uh, there's no need for God. Who's interested in hearing about Jesus? But, you know, the reality is, That behind the facade and the frills and the fancies that we see is a heart that is yearning, that is still searching. There are people who are still looking for meaningful friendships. There are people who are still looking for somebody who can come in and help them out of their problems. There are people who are still looking and wondering, you know, is there a God? How can I know Him? The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, it tells us that God has put eternity in their hearts. Every human being is really a spiritual being. So there is an innate desire to know God. And God has put eternity inside the hearts of people. Now when you look at them, it doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem that they care for eternity. It doesn't seem that they would be interested in eternal things. But the fact is God has put eternity in their hearts. And if we can go past the outside, you will see that within every person, there is a cry to know the truth. And in fact, Romans chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 tell us that God has written His law in the heart of every person. And there is a conscience within them telling them about God. It's already there. 
Every, every human person is programmed that way. Is designed that way. Now, over time, we may have seared the conscience. We may have dulled the conscience. And therefore, may not be so responsive. But the reality is inside every man's heart. The law of God has been written. And there is a conscience within them telling them that there is a God. There is a creator. Amen. So I think the challenge for you and me is to get rid of this misconception and to learn to look past the frills and the fancies that we see outside and to say that within that person, there is something that is searching for God. And if I can work with that person, connect with him or her, I can lead him to, a saving, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. A third reason that many people, many of us are afraid to talk to others about Jesus is, you know, and this all of us can identify, is a fear of rejection and ridicule. We're afraid of that. Now, hey, if I start talking to my friend, then that's it. You know, he'll start talk, he'll stop talking to me. He'll, you know, little kids do this, you know. He, he, he's going to reject me. Or worse, he'll start ridiculing me. So this fear of rejection and ridicule often holds us back from talking to people and even broaching the subject. But here are some things that you and I must understand that we can learn to graciously and victoriously handle rejection and respond to those who reject the gospel. And we must not forget that many who today are believers in Jesus were once, and some of us, us ourselves, were once people who rejected and ridiculed Christ. I mean, many of us did that in the beginning. The first time we heard about Jesus, we probably laughed at it. Or we didn't want to hear any more. We ourselves did that. But many who rejected and ridiculed the gospel and the message of Jesus today are believers. And there are countless stories of this. I mean, you know, one very famous story that became very famous, uh, I think back in the 80s, was that of Nicky Cruz. How many of you remember Nicky Cruz? The story of Nicky Cruz. A good number of people, you know. And there was a whole movie brought out, Run, Baby, Run, and the cross on the switchblade. And the story of Nicky Cruz, he was just a little young, uh, young guy living out in, in the city of New York, part of a gang and the drug culture there, and totally violent and totally anti-Jesus Christ. And into their midst, God sends a young preacher named David Wilkerson. And he's just beginning his ministry. I mean, he's just fresh off the boat, you know, going into this group of young wild kids who are, who are on, you know, just totally reckless, nothing to constrain them. And he goes into there into, among them and he begins to tell them about Jesus. And, and he, he shares the story of Nicky Cruz who was so violent, so uh, uh, aggressive, rejected anything that David Wilkerson had to say about Jesus. Even threatened his life. But all David Wilkerson said, but Nicky, God loves. Nicky, God loves. And to such a man as Nicky Cruz, a young man as Nicky Cruz, one day God broke through. And his hardened heart was opened. And Nicky spent, has spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. An amazing testimony. And unlike this, there are countless stories of people who, whose initial reaction was to reject or ridicule, but one day God got them. Amen. And you and I must understand that, you know, their rejection, their, their rejection is not, it's not just about you. They're probably struggling with different things. And so it's so important for us to ask the question, why is this person rejecting the gospel? When somebody rejects, ask the question, why is this person rejecting? Now, it could be that they may have had a bad experience before. You know, they must have met a member from APC, was not trained, 
and that person tried to shove the gospel down the throat. And he tried to say, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, uh, you're going to go to hell. Or maybe that person said things that, you know, that really offended them. And so they've had bad experiences. And so the moment you show up, after having heard this series, they don't know that you heard this series. And you show up to talk to them about Jesus, and immediately you're categorized along with the rest of the group. Oh, those guys are here again. And so they, they probably had a bad experience, and you've walked into them to share the gospel, and that's why they're rejecting. They're not rejecting you per se, but they've had a bad experience before. And so then you need to show through your life and through your action that you are not part of the rest who maybe ignorantly made mistakes and offended them. But that you genuinely care and you really want them, want to bring answers into their life. Sometimes they reject people because it's just their way of saying no to God. Now God is standing and knocking at the door of their lives and they're just creating a bigger noise to pretend that they can't hear God's knocking on the door. So they're making this big noise, rejecting you. But really, they don't want to answer the call. God's coming, knocking at the door. And sometimes the reason they reject is because our approach is wrong. So we need to ask the question, you know, why is this person rejecting? Maybe I said things I should not have said. Maybe I did things a certain way that I should not have done. So you can always learn when people reject, ask the question, why? Another important thing to keep in mind when, you face, when we face rejection ridicule is that, you know, Usually, people make very important decisions as a process rather than in a moment of time. Now, think about all of us who want to buy cars, bikes. I mean, you didn't just walk in. I know men are bad. And if we just walk into the store, we say, that, 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 shopping over. <laughs> but when it comes to a big decision like buying a car, you didn't do that. I mean, you took some time. You took some time to look around. And so in major decisions, it's a process. You kind of get information and so on. And, and salvation, coming to know Jesus Christ, giving your life to the Lord, is again a big decision. Many times, it's done as a process. And before you, God may have sent five other people to talk to this person about Jesus. You're the sixth one. After you, there may be two more before that person can make a decision for Jesus. And your responsibility is to make sure that what you do in this continuum of decision-making in that person's life, what you do is to have a positive impact, to keep nudging them towards the Lord. And don't do anything that would turn them away from the Lord. Amen? Now, there are times when something happens instantaneously. You know, you're riding on the Yamaha or on the horse, and the lightning bolt comes from heaven. And you're struck off your bike on the road, and you say, Lord, tell me what to do. Now, those kinds of things do happen, but they are not very frequent. Normally, what happens is it's over time. The people hear, and they hear, and then they finally make a decision for Jesus Christ. So, understood, don't allow rejection to turn you off. Here's what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 10, verses 11 through 16. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10, verses 11 through 16. Jesus warned us about rejection, and here's what he told us to do. He said, when whatever city or town you enter... Inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Some of our shoes are very clean. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that city. 
Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So here's something to take back with us when Jesus said, when you go to speak to people, if they receive you, let your peace come upon it. You stay there, you minister to them. But if they reject you, here's what you do. I want you to shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next home. Move on to the next person. Now, what does it mean to shake the dust off your feet? In their context, it meant that you will have nothing more to do with that person. That's what it meant. Shake the dust off your feet. Nothing more to do with that person. Now, you and I must understand that, you know, when Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet, now you and I may not do that, do that literally, but here's what I want us to take back. That, look, if you face rejection, shake rejection off. Move on to the next person. Don't carry that rejection with you for the rest of your year, you know. At the beginning of the year, I witnessed to one person. He rejected me for the rest of the year. I need inner healing so that I can be restored and go out to witness. Get over it. Shake it off. Go find the next person. Amen. And Jesus said, when you're doing this, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. Be wise as serpents. Be tactful. Be wise when you're going out there to talk to people about Jesus. And the same chapter, Matthew 10, verse 40, he said this. If they receive you, they receive me. And they receive me, they receive him who sent me. But the converse is also true. If they reject you, they are rejecting Jesus. So why are you getting so upset they rejected me? I mean, if they reject you, think about how Jesus would feel. Because if they reject you, they're actually rejecting Jesus. Right? So don't take it so personal. Learn to take that off. Move on to the next person who might be open to receiving the gospel. There are, there are people or who, who need to hear. Don't allow the fear of rejection or ridicule. Or even the experience of rejection or ridicule. Keep you from sharing Jesus with people. Now let's repeat Romans 1.16 once again. Let's say this together. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You know, this gospel is the power of God. It is the power of God. We should not be ashamed. Just keep going, keep speaking. Another reason why uh, some of us don't want to talk to others about Jesus is because we have an identity problem. What, is, what do I mean by that? It means that sometimes we don't want to reveal the fact that we are believers. That we believe in Jesus. So, you know, you're working in this place for five years. And your boss has no idea that you're a believer. And one day, it just so happens, you are not in the office. And there's a call from All People's Church inviting you to a cell group. And he so happens to answer that call. And here's Pastor so-and-so saying, you know, can I speak to, you know, whoever, Satish, you know. Uh, he says, yeah, who's this? He says, I'm Pastor so-and-so calling from All People's Church. Can you repeat that? Where are you calling from? It's from all people's church. Say, so you want to speak to, I want to speak to Satish. You know, for what? We invite, no, he's one of our cell group leaders or something like that. And that's when your boss has this revelation that you actually go to church. But for five years, your identity has been concealed wonderfully. And so some of us have that kind of a problem. We don't want to reveal that we actually are people who believe in Jesus Christ. And what could the reasons be? You know, Maybe one reason is because we are not so sure about our own walk with God. You know, spiritually, I'm not so good a Christian. It's better that they don't know I'm one. So then I can do whatever I'm, I want to do and they won't hold it against me, you know. 
Or we're not so sure, uh, we, we, we feel so insecure about our own walk with God. You know, I don't read my Bible regularly. I don't pray. So better I don't tell anybody that I believe in Jesus. We need to get out of that. Amen. We need to make sure our walk with God is strong. You pray, you seek God. And don't be ashamed about it. Now another reason why uh, some of us are afraid to reveal our identity as believers is because we're afraid that we might get branded as a fanatic. So you're also one of them, you know. Get branded as a fanatic in your place of work or school or college, wherever you are. And so in order to avoid that, we just don't reveal our identity. Or we need to break out of these things. Amen? Be free. Now, I'm not saying we have to be abrasive and brash about it. You know, I'm not saying, you know, the first day you go to job, you go to your workplace, and it's your first day at work, and your boss says, you know, so, John, what are you good at? And you say, uh, sorry, you say, boss, I'm good at preaching. That's the wrong thing to say. He didn't hire you to preach. He hired you to do some work for him. Right? So don't be so foolish. But at the same time, we must understand that we can't hide our identity. People will come to know that we believe in Jesus Christ. Now, unless you are seriously involved in an undercover operation somewhere in, you know, the Middle East, you're working for the sake somewhere, and uh, you're an undercover believer and you need to, you're, you're planning to go in and influence him. And unless it's that kind of a situation, I think all of us must come out of our closet. Amen. And just be who God has made us to be. But Jesus' words are pretty strict, they're strong. In Matthew, the 10th chapter, verses 32 and 33. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, he says, you know, Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. His words are... Very strong. He says, look, if you believe in me, you've got to let people know it. If you deny me, I'll deny you. What would some other reasons be why we don't share people with Jesus? Number five would be a lack of time. And this is so true for many of us because we are all so busy. Now, Monday through Friday and maybe even half of Saturday, you're busy uh, at work. Some of us work the wrong time of day. We work at night. Jesus said you must work during the day. The night comes when no man can work. And you know, we all proved his verse wrong. We are working at night. And, uh, and you know, we just don't have time. And this, this, it's a fact. We're so busy. And then when you come to church, you have such long sermons. It doesn't leave you with any part of Sunday to go out witnessing. You know, no time to do anything for the Lord, to go and share Jesus with people. Now, if we were to attempt to take, you know, say, okay, I'm going to keep four hours aside every week to go and share people with Jesus, it's very likely you won't do it more than one week. Because it's not possible for most of us to set aside that amount of time every week to go and find people and share, people with Jesus, uh, share Jesus with people. But here's what I wanted to suggest for us to do. You know, find SOS moments in your life. One of those SOS moments, those are moments in your everyday life when very, very quickly you can share your story. It could be at the coffee machine and you know another colleague comes to get some coffee, you're also there and you see that person very disturbed. It's an SOS moment. Share your story. Just tell them about how you know, when you get to know their pain or their maybe they're going through some pain in life that's causing them to be that way. Maybe they've lost sight, lost focus, lost purpose. It's an SOS moment where you can just say a few things about your story and what Jesus did for you. That could minister to that person. So if you look at your week, 
you probably have SOS moments every day. And maybe many SOS moments every day of the week. Amen. So you really don't have to set aside four hours of the day where you're going out witnessing or evangelism. Just capture these moments in your, in your workplace, in your school, in your college. Uh, maybe you're at home and you have friends around. Capture those SOS moments where you can share our story with somebody. Amen. Just work it into your daily life. There's a couple of more things and we close here. Why would some of us not be sharing Jesus with people? Number six would be a lack of unsaved friends. And that's a big problem with us pastors. Now, I just think of how my life has changed so much. Now, when I was, until I was in college, sharing pe- Jesus with people was like, man, I was manhunting every day. That's why I went to school. I didn't go to school to study. I went to school to win souls. And it was just totally different worlds. But then once I started working, got so involved with work, it became difficult because, you know, you're so preoccupied. You need to finish stuff. You need to, you're responsible for things. And, and then, you know, once I became a pastor, it became even worse. Because now you're only dealing with sheep. I mean, saved sheep, you know, not the lost sheep. And you're working with other sheep herders, you know, shepherds, I mean. <laughs> so our office, we've got pastors sitting around us. It's all believers, mostly. And so we hardly have any time of interaction with the unsaved, with the world. It's really sad. And so, you know, it's a time and we have to challenge ourselves to say, look, we must get out of this sheep pen and get into the real world where we can meet people and tell them about Jesus. It's a challenge for us pastors. And sad to say that even among God's people, the longer we walk with God, the fewer unsaved friends we tend to have. And if you look at the number of friends, most of them are believers. Now, there's nothing wrong with them. But the thing is, if we are really going to have an impact on the world, we must connect with the world. We must be amongst them. Amen? Now, we, if we disconnect from the world, it's going to be very hard for us to go and win people to Jesus Christ. It's very hard for us to fulfill the mandate that's on our lives to share the gospel with the lost. So as pastors, we have to actively, proactively make a difference. We need to get out and talk to people. And for the rest of us in the house of God as believers, I want to encourage you, learn to get into the world. Learn to connect with those who do not know Jesus Christ. Amen. Proactively go meet people, socialize, if you will, with those who do not know Jesus. Be their friends. Jesus sat and ate with what the New Testament terminology calls publicans and sinners. He had meals with them. He just interacted with them. He was out with the people. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9. It's a very powerful passage to read. He said this. He said, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law. Not being without law toward God but under law toward Christ that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker of it with you. What is Paul saying? He's saying look you know. To the Jews, I became like the Jew. 
those who are outside the law, I became like them. But without violating the law of God, of course. How do we translate that into our life and our language today? It means that you and I must enter into the worlds of those around us. Amen. Don't be afraid to enter into their worlds. To the skinheads, become a skinhead if you want to lose your hair. It's okay. Yeah. Become like them. Just get into them. You say, but I don't like this smell. It's okay. You can come home and have a bath. You know? But I don't, you know, get into the world. Don't be afraid to get into the pubs. Don't drink. drink. Drink Coke. But be there. Connect with them. Don't be afraid to get in where the people are. Amen. But some of us are so afraid. So what, you know, if I get in there, I'll get contaminated. Excuse me. You are light, they're darkness. When you turn on the light, darkness doesn't hang around to have a debate on why they should leave. Light always overpowers darkness. And you are light. So why be afraid? Step into their worlds. Let the light of God come in to where they are. Now, when I say that, do with it caution, meaning don't go in there and adapt their ways, but step in there because you know you need to be there to make a difference. But many of us, we tend to disconnect. And that's going to prevent us from reaching souls for Jesus. And here's a story, and I've shared this many times before. But I like to share this. And when I was in college, this was in the U.S. And uh, for the first year of my life there, I kind of stayed with believers. So it was good. It was, uh, it was nice because it kind of helped me adapt to uh, the, new, the new world. But then when it, it, was after the, it was time for me to find a new place to stay. And I was looking for a place. And uh, it so happened that a young man came, came by and uh, he, had, he was staying in, a, uh, in the first floor of a house where he had one room that he was using. He wanted to rent out the other room. Uh, so it kind of fit very well. So I went to see the place and we met. And, uh, and he showed me the place and, you know, and he asked me a little bit about my, myself. I told him about it. And then he said, you know, he looked at me and he said, you know, I don't think you and I can be roommates. Because he said, you know, I drink I listened to this heavy metal music, you know, and he got into his truck, he turned, it, turned on his truck immediately, the whole truck almost vibrated, you know, I was like, oh man, and, uh, and all kinds of things, so the, the things that typical American young men would do, so he said, you know, I don't think you and I can be roommates, you know, you don't drink, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't, you don't listen to this music, can't be roommates, but in my heart I said, you know, that's where I must go, I need to move in with him. So I told him, I said, Jeff, no, 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 I, I want to be a roommate. He said, you want to be my roommate? Said, yeah, I want to be a roommate. So I moved into his, his, his place. He had one room, I had one room, and the rest of the place we shared. And, uh, you know, um, I didn't start, you know, hitting him with the gospel right away. I wasn't it. Just spent time with him. Just, you know, we should have this spaghetti and sauce. And, you know, and I said, so he said, man, you cook real well. He didn't know we don't have all this kind of stuff here, you know, or we didn't used to. I would just cook all this, but he used to eat, we used to have good times together. He drank his beer, I drank my milk, you know. <laughs> okay, sorry, that wasn't planned. <laughs> hey, but that really happened, okay. <laughs> okay, <laughs> to drink cold milk, you know. All right, so we did those kinds of things, and uh, he used to play his music and laugh at the girls, and he'd go grocery shopping, you know. we talked to every girl he sees, and did. I said, i just go with him. And, but then over time, over time, just being with him, you know, slowly he started changing. He, you know, um, he came with me once to the church I used to go to, and then he couldn't handle the church because people lifting hands. He didn't know what that meant. So, but he found a church that he could go to. He didn't lift hands, and he was comfortable there. 
But he started doing that. Then he, you know, we should talk about things from the Bible. He asked questions. And I would just answer. I wait for him to ask. So without me preaching to him, he would ask and we would talk. Eventually, over, over a period of time, his life changed. You know, he stopped bringing girls over. He stopped picking up the beers when we went grocery shopping. I didn't have to tell him to do these things. He stopped listening to those kind of music. He got all rid of all those CDs and he started replacing them with, you know, good Christian music. He started changing on his own. God was working. Light was dispelling darkness. Amen. And uh, I think uh, we lived together for about a year and a half. Then I had to move. And then later on, you know, he got married to a good Christian girl. He moved on to another part of the U.S. And kind of we've lost touch. But I know his life changed. Amen. So we must step into people's worlds. Don't be afraid. If you know your lights, you know who you are in God, you can do it. Step into people's worlds and light always dispels darkness. And I want to close with some of our silly excuses, you know. Number seven would be my personality. You know, it's not my personality, you know. And, and that's true, you know. I'm a, for me, I'm an introvert. You give me a book to read, I'll be happy staying indoors. And then there are people who are extroverts. I mean, they will just be so happy. They can meet anybody, talk to anybody, you know, smile anytime. They're just natural with people. So, so, you know, each one of us have different personalities. But we cannot allow our personality to keep us from sharing Jesus with others. Can't make that as an excuse. Learn to overcome. Some of us might say, it's not my responsibility, you know. It's the pastor's responsibility to go and do it. No. The Great Commission was given to every believer. Some of us would say, I'll just live a good life and that's enough for me. That's my way of sharing the gospel. Well, incidentally, Jesus did not say go into the whole world and live a good life before people. He said go into the whole world and preach the gospel. You've got to speak. You've got to tell. Now, live a good life. That's important because your testimony does matter. It gives you a platform to speak into people's lives. But you must talk about Jesus. And finally, what if they ask me difficult questions? You know, not everybody has answers for every question. And we, po we possibly cannot have an answer for every question. So when they ask you questions, you can't answer. Well, you have several options. You can tell them, you know, I don't know the answer. I'll find out. Come and ask somebody and give them the answer. And if you can't find the answer, you can still say this. I don't have the answer, but one thing I know. Once I was blind, but now I can see. I don't have the answer to your questions. But one thing I know. He touched me. He changed my life. That is undisputable. That thing, I know for sure. I mean, I don't have answers for all the questions. Once I was blind, but now I see. Amen. So I believe we can break free from all our self-imposed limitations. And all of us, we can have a church full of people who are out there in the world, getting into the world, moving into areas of darkness and touching lives for Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you like to see that kind of a church? So I want to tell you, you have been commissioned already to go into all the world, into the dark areas of the world, into the needy, into the needs and the hearts of people around you to go make a difference. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.